0: Thank you for tuning in to Point of Insanity Game Studios' Geekery in General podcast. And with me today is my friend, Chad. How are you doing today, Chad?
1: Hey, not bad, Al.
0: You know, I read something the other day that was kind of scary. Now, uh, we are recording this on January. Not almost said January. Why did I almost say January? (laughs) It's been one of those types of years, I guess. But we are recording this on March 20th. And there was an article a friend of mine posted on Facebook a couple of days ago that I'm not sure if I should think, is this really cool or is this really scary? That, uh, some scientists discovered that they, well, announced that they had discovered a pregnant dinosaur or the remains of a pregnant dinosaur, rather. And that means that they're close, that there's closer the possibility of being able to clone dinosaurs. And I think it was like a T-Rex. So the thing I wonder is this: Have scientists ever watched a Jurassic Park movie? <laughs> I mean,
1: you know, yeah, I was just thinking that too. I mean, you know, the idea is 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 interesting. Mm-hmm. I, you know, um, I've seen the Jurassic Park movies except the latest one. I don't know. I was not impressed with the Jurassic Park movies. I was impressed with the impressed with the animatronics, but the actual movies themselves. I don't know, they 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 weren't that great, I didn't think, and you know...
0: Yeah, uh, and I think when we talk about the Jurassic Parks, honestly, I think they could have just left it at the first one, I haven't seen the second one, but from what I understand, that one's pretty forgettable. Yep. The third one was okay, Uh the fourth one, it wasn't bad, but there is, I, I noticed that there's usually this reoccurring theme in it, and I don't know if this is just me, but almost this... to some extent there's almost like an anti-corporate or an anti-greed message in a lot of them. Yeah, Um,
1: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, because in the first one, the guy who was... I I can't... was it Wayne Knight? The guy who plays the...
1: Oh, the security guard, yes.
0: The fat... yeah, the fat guy who was, like, stole the dinosaur embryos. And... You know, a lot of it is like, I mean, I don't think John Hammond in the first one, he really came off as being greedy. It's like, okay, he's financed this way to let people see dinosaurs. And it's almost like he thought he was doing this for, you know, for science. But have you seen Jurassic World at all?
1: I haven't because I was told if you like the first one, you'll love Jurassic World. And I went, I didn't like the first one.
0: (laughs) See, in this. The last one does have a bit of a more, I would say, almost anti-corporate message in a way. Because in this one, they've turned it, in case you're not familiar with the basic plot of it, they've turned Jurassic Park into uh, an island theme park where there are people visiting it. And they're always trying to make these bigger dinosaurs. And I suppose you could say there's kind of the don't mess with nature motif in it. Mm -hmm. Because they end up creating this... I think they gave it some cliche name like Megasaurus, where it's bigger and badder than a T-Rex and it's smarter and it can change colors too. And the reason wow that
1: sounds intelligent,
0: yes, (laughs) messing with super science, not a good idea. And it's like, you almost wonder, it's like, where was the scientist who saw it coming and is like, no, we shouldn't be doing this.
1: Remember what happened here 15 years ago? Exactly. Maybe not do this.
0: But yeah, the so they create this super dinosaur, and the they find out later in the movie it's because they were taking DNA from all these different types of things. And without really spoiling too much of the movie, you know, of course, it backfires on them. And there's almost the reason I say there's almost an anti corporate or an anti greed message in there is like saying, okay, well, this is this could be our reward for trying to make things bigger and scarier just for the sake of profit. i mm-hmm. um, trying to think of the way I want to say this also. It's like there's a conflict with one of the higher-ups in there about, okay, when this big mega dinosaur escapes, do they close the island and try to start evacuating people? Or do they just kind of like, you know, trust that their field team is going to go neutralize this threat and, you know, just allow all these tourists to go – play at the you know the amusement park while there's this big huge intelligent deadly dinosaur running around.
1: Right. Do you do you work with safety or do you do work with hey we can still make a few bucks?
0: And that almost that actually kind of plays in nicely with our our uh, topic of discussion today. We're not going to be discussing a movie this time instead. Well the topic kind of plays into movies, but it plays into a lot of things other well as well. Good bad guys. Do you think that's a contradiction in terms?
1: No, I I think you've got to put a comma in there because you're looking at bad guys that you like. Exactly. Or bad guys that are good for a story. Because just because a person's or a character is bad doesn't mean they don't have a use to a story, if you ask me.
0: That is true. And I think that's one of the reasons I want to discuss this topic is I think it is possible to make a good guy I'm sorry, it's possible to make a bad guy that's really good. And when I say good, not a good guy, but a bad guy that's just a really, really good villain. Um, did you ever see the – because I believe you – are you into pro wrestling, or did you ever watch it or follow oh yes. it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Because there was – many, many years ago, there was the Bret Hart documentary, Wrestling with Shadows. Did you ever see okay. that? Or? I did not see that one. Okay. But one of the things he was mentioning in there is that in professional wrestling, part of being a good guy is having a good bad guy to work with. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like one of his favorite, you know, villains to work with, On you know, in the ring was Mankind, you know, a.k.a. Nick Foley, a.k.a. Dude Love, uh whatever, Cactus Jack, Cactus whatever. Jack. Whatever yep. name he was going by that month. Um So I think that is kind of true. And it's not just when you're – You know, if you're writing a movie, but also one of the things we're going to talk about is role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And if, because when you're making a role-playing game campaign, you know, you're in control. It's like you're the director, you're the screenwriter, you know, you're making these characters. So we're going to talk about some of our ideas for how you can uh, create, well, hopefully you'll find it useful, how to create a good bad guy for a campaign. So before we start talking about villains, let's define, what is a villain? How would you describe a villain? A
1: a villain, let's see. Um, It's obviously someone who works outside the law. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone whose intent is not for the betterment of mankind. Or maybe not even that, whose whose result is not for the betterment of mankind. Because you can look at certain villains and they're like, I'm doing this for you. You don't understand it because you're not smart enough or you're not, you know, whatever. I'm doing this for you, and, you know, it it doesn't work out. Um, A a villain is someone who is against the status quo um, because, as we know, the status is not quo.
0: Yep. (laughs) And I think another good way to describe a villain, and you made some really good points about there, usually what they're doing is not for the betterment of others. Usually villains are motivated, usually, but not always. We're going to talk about some exceptions, but usually villains tend to be interested more or they're motivated more by their own self-interests as opposed to what's going to be good for society, what's going to be good for, uh, you know, their their country as a whole. But I think one of the things that villains should do is they should create conflict, now, I don't know if you ever studied this in your English classes you had back in high school or middle school or whatnot. But whenever we did story writing, one of the things that I remember, my English teacher, and I think this was back in seventh grade. So that was don't uh, do the math years though. ago. Yeah. To the math. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early in the morning to do math. Um, the but yeah, it's it's many many years ago. Let's just let's just put it that way. Uh, but they talked about the different types of conflict that can arise in the story. I The ones I remember, like, man versus nature, man versus self, uh, man versus man, and I'm not sure if they covered this back then, but man versus technology. So right, can-
1: which I think is viable, even if even if you and I and our teachers didn't talk about it in seventh grade, because, you know, uh, there weren't even cell phones when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know... Then, I, I think it's a viable. I think it's a viable thing to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I think. Well, actually, there were mobile. There were mobile mobile phones back when we were around seventh grade, but they were like the size of like a brick and probably weighed about as much too. So those were yeah, our cell phones, and I
1: suppose there were there were ones you had mounted in your car too. You know the the old yep. bag phones or the old car phones.
0: Yeah, and I remember back with them when that used to be a big deal. It's like, hey, I've got a phone in my car. Yeah, like, yeah. Nowadays, kids would be like, big deal. I have a phone in my pocket that lets me listen to music, play video games, take pictures, take videos, and you know, watch videos. So, well,
1: well, here's a scary thought. I read an article once that was talking about the computing power of phones now.
0: Because oh, yeah. really,
1: it's a it's it's a computer that makes a phone call. Is what it really is. Mm-hmm. And. The cell phone that you and I hold in our hand today has more computing power than the first computer that put the first men in space.
0: Yep. And I I know I've, uh there's a meme that's gone around Facebook. It's like, you know, it, it said like, yeah, your smartphone has more computing power than the computers NASA had back in the 60s. They used it to put men on the moon. We use it to launch birds at pigs.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) But, anyways, so back to the, that could almost kind of serve as like one of the things, like, yeah, the whole uh, man versus technology, where really the most notable example I could think there almost is, uh, you know, the folktale about John Henry. Mm -hmm. You know, where, uh, you know, of course, he represents the, you know, the working man and he's trying to compete against machines or automation. But, like, man versus man is pretty self-explanatory. That's something we see a lot, where it's like man versus another man. Uh, Man versus nature, I think they usually, that's usually used if, like, you're in, like, a wilderness survival type situation. Right, right. Where nature is actually your antagonist. It's your villain because you've got, you know, storms or drought that you might have to contend with. And I think they include wild animals as a part of that as well.
1: Yeah, I would assume so.
0: And then uh, man versus self, that type of conflict I Okay, I might be wrong on this, but I think it can represent either man physically challenging himself or even morally challenging himself. Like I believe um you've probably read some of the stuff by Joseph Conrad.
1: Name like he, sounds familiar, but I'm not I'm not putting two and two together here this Heart, morning, so.
0: Heart of Darkness is one of his most famous stories. And, okay um, yeah he, and you know that would eventually serve as the influence for apocalypse now which i you've probably seen that movie right
1: Ah, uh, yeah years ago
0: yep and i know there was another one i remember reading in english class back in middle school the secret sharer and one of the things i remember my teacher mentioning is that a lot of times in and this is common in conrad's works is he often does have man his characters deal with various uh you know, not really mental issues, but ethical issues. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're tested for their fidelity, their loyalty. So those are just some of the types of conflicts that, I don't know, maybe that some of you out there might remember learning about that back in your history class, not history, uh, too early (laughs) in the morning. (laughs) Um, Some of you might remember from your English or literature classes. But let's go back to talking about villains. And again, the villains are usually, they're, they create conflict in a story. Because what fun is a story if there's no conflict, if everything is just happening perfectly?
1: Right, yeah. If if everything you do turns out the way you want it to, uh, it's a pretty boring story.
0: Exactly. So there's, now of course there's a lot of different types of villains. Uh, there's just a few main ones that we were thinking about before we uh, started recording today as We don't really have a formal outline for this episode, so we're just going to be kind of... That's right. Yep, we're going to be... Shooting from the hip. Yep, going (laughs) off the cuff. So, one of the first types of villains that usually comes to mind for me is the scum of the earth villain. And this is usually the villain who has no higher purpose other than his own self-interests. Like, this would be someone like the mugger who wants to take your money so he can use it to go buy drugs or stolen goods or or whatever so usually with this type of villain and the reason we want to talk about types of villains is when we go on to our section where we're going to talk about making a villain for a role-playing game it's helpful to keep these points in mind because different villains have different types of functions in the campaign right absolutely so when we talk about the scum of the earth villain again this is the one where no morally redeeming qualities whatsoever are there any villains that you can think that kind of fit that mold?
1: Ooh, scum of the earth, huh? You know, the one that pops into my head, and, and I'm not sure if he falls into this or not, but the Joker. Hmm, I can see that. Because I- he really has no moral compass that makes him decide why he's going to do what he does. He does it simply for the act of chaos
0: that is true because what I know about Joker from uh, the Justice League cartoons I've seen him in that's pretty much what he does it's like there's a two-parter where uh, he uh, like Harlequin you know Har I guess he has like kind of an abusive relationship with her where he more yeah, controls with, her
1: yeah with Harley Quinn
0: yeah and I think I think that's probably the best example of a scum of the earth type villain is yeah he at least the media I'm familiar with him he doesn't really have any higher purpose he just likes to create chaos and disorder
1: right and ha- have you seen the new series of batman movies
0: uh the ones with uh like Christian Bale I've seen and... a couple of them yes I've seen part of Batman Begins and I've seen part of the one with Heath Ledger in it
1: okay with Heath Ledger's bat or uh, yeah his batman joker. no his his joker <laughs> He, um, at one point, just to kind of to show you this, he, uh, he holds up this group of, of villains for all this money, right? He steals all this money from them. What does he do with it? Does he, does he use it to, you know, expand his empire or anything like that? No, he puts it in a warehouse and sets the whole on fire just because, well, I, it doesn't matter. You exactly. Know?
0: Yeah. And, um, I, there was another thing I remember from early on in the movie where they were trying to, uh, break into that bank where it was like the uh he was like betraying his teammates left and right and basically killed everyone he was breaking into this bank with
1: yeah it started out with five guys and the only guy that walks out is the joker you yeah. know
0: <laughs> so yeah i think he's definitely very good and this is a topic i want to do on its own someday is just the evolution of the joker where because uh, i was talking about this with my friend Don. And long time listeners who remember that Dawn has been on my show a few times and, uh, she's a big comic book fan. So we've talked about comic book related topics and that's what I think she was the one who said that. Yeah. Joker does kind of evolve with the times. And a lot of times the Joker that we see in the various media usually reflects what's going on in the comics, which is why the. You know, like the, was it Cesar Ramirez, the one who played, or Cesar Romez?
1: Yeah, I think it was Ramirez.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite versions of the Joker, um, that I remember from that old, like, Adam West series where he is more kind of this comical, slapsticky villain. And then when you get him into the, the Jack Nicholson portrayal in the, Oh, sure, was that movie like the late 80s?
1: Yeah, that yeah, Batman was uh, I think it was ninety one. Yeah. I think ninety one was the first one. But um,
0: Yeah, because that oh I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, when I mean when you when you look at the Caesar Romero's one, I mean that had a lot to do with the comic code. Because if you look at him um, in the comics, he's always not quite right. And I think they did the best of what they could with what they had access to at the time. But that's actually one of my least favorite Jokers. Uh. Just because he doesn't reflect the Joker in, in the stat. I mean, there's something definitely wrong with the Joker mentally. I mean, he's not normal.
0: <laughs> yeah. And actually, let me look that up. Cause I, is it is it Cesar Romero? I thought it was
1: Ramirez, but I, I you know.
0: Just a moment. Let me... Let sure. me uh, turn to my, the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia.
1: Well, if it's on Wikipedia, it has to be true. <laughs> it's,
0: it's on the internet. It has to be true.
1: But they should at least get that right.
0: It, Yeah, it is Cesar Romero.
1: Romero, okay.
0: But yeah, I mean, I, I, I always liked his portrayal of the Joker, but I, I think you were, yeah, you definitely made a good point there where it does have to, it does have a lot to do with the comics code at the time where... I'm not an expert on it, but I know what you're talking about where there were certain levels of violence that were considered acceptable. Yep.
1: You couldn't, you couldn't show, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that you couldn't do. And I was reading, um, they did a comic book version of the life of Stanley. Okay. Mm -hmm. They did like a graphic novel of, of his life in the industry and that kind of stuff. And I was reading through that and, even though it, the comics code was so stringent at one time that even though the um, American government came to them and said, we want you to do something that's anti-drug. You weren't allowed to say anything about drugs in comics at the time. But they, you know, they got this thing, they did a three-story arc in, I believe it was Spider-Man, about, uh, and it was anti-drugs. And the Comics Code would not put their stamp on it, so they sold it without the Comics Code stamp, even though it was commissioned by the U.S. <laughs> government. Comics Code went, "Nope, sorry, we don't care. You can't do that."
0: Yeah, and that's that's strange because yeah, usually the anything that's anti-drug, you know, they're usually gonna they're usually gonna allow it to go through. So, right. But moving on. Another type of villain is and I'm not sure if we classify this as the same type or not but the noble or the likable villain kind of related but in a way I think they can be different the noble villain at least the way I see it tends to be the type of villain who he really sincerely believes that he is what he's doing is in the best interest of you know his country or even the world a mm-hmm. uh, good example I can think of is Magneto from the X-Men. The reason that he does what he does is he thinks he's doing what's best for the mutant race. Right. Uh, Doctor Doom is another example where, you know, even though he is a villain and he does try to take over the world, uh, as I recall, he does it because he thinks that he's the best person to rule the world. And also he does have a sense of nobility about him. I remember in the Marvel role-playing games, one of the things that they did mention in his uh, this the entry about Doctor Doom was that if he gives you his word, he will keep it. And okay. that's one of the things I can think can make it kind of an interesting villain and where it kind of bleeds into the whole likable villain because sometimes maybe they're really not that bad. It's just that they think that, if you could see things from my point of view, you would probably you would probably get it, and you would probably agree with me,
1: right? Uh, and you know, somebody else you can throw into there. I think in in a little uh, tongue in cheek kind of way is Doctor Horrible.
0: <laughs> okay, I've that's from the, like was it Doctor Horrible's? Almost Horrible,
1: yeah, sing along blog. It was a it was an internet thing. It's now been put out on. You know, all types of media, but.
0: I've seen it on Netflix, but I haven't watched it because I know it's got Nathan Fillion, uh, what was it? Neil Patrick Harris, and then.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, what is her name? Um.
0: Tara Armstrong or Tara Strong?
1: No, no. I know she, it's
0: Felicia Day?
1: Felicia Day, yeah, yeah. There you
0: go. So the. Yeah, I want to see that. I said I have to check to see if it's still on Netflix or not, but.
1: I believe it is, and it's, it's, it's only, I think it's a 45 minute movie or something like that. Okay. And it's worth the watch, but he's he's kind of got that same attitude. It's like you people just don't get it. Mm-hmm. If I do this, you know, and 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 it'll it'll make things better, you know, type thing. So,
0: Yeah, it's like I'm not trying to take over the world just so I can sit on a throne and, you know, have all the money and all the power. I'm doing this because the world is
1: the in... world needs me.
0: Yes, exactly. I am the leader that the the world needs and the one that the world deserves so but another villain that i can think of and when i mention this guy's name some people might argue as to whether this guy should even be considered a villain and one of the best video games of all time final fantasy 6 there is a character in it named general leo have you ever played final fantasy 6 or are you familiar with it at all
1: I, I am not, and, and a little aside for the listeners, I don't play video games, so okay. you're kind of going to be monologuing this one, Al.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you about General Leo. Now, in Final Fantasy VI, there's an empire that is, of course, trying to take over the world. Uh, there usually isn't a lot of works of fiction, and there's three main characters at the head of this uh, army. Or, you know, There's the Emperor Gestalt, There is his, and then his two top generals, Kefka and General Leo. And there's a part in the game where the Empire is attacking a kingdom called Doma. And from their base, uh, Kefka and General Leo are talking. And meanwhile, one of the heroes, uh, Saban, is kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. And well, before uh, Kefka and Leo have this exchange, uh, Leo is talking to a couple of the soldiers. Well, General Leo was talking to the soldier, and the soldier's like, you know, I'm ready to lay down my life for the Empire. And uh General Leo was like, you know, look, uh, you know, don't do anything dangerous, because if you die, I have to go and I have to tell your family. And, you know, the Emperor, you know, wouldn't want you to do that. And, you know, and then Kefka, of course, he wants to just go in and wipe out everyone. Kefka's kind of like the Joker in a way. Okay. Um, so yeah, just to give you an idea of his mentality and his motivations, but General Leo is like, you know, look, don't do anything drastic because they're people just like us. And when Sabin hears this conversation, he's like, General Leo, if he wasn't my enemy, he'd be my friend. And later on in the in the, in the story, he does you know, again, you you come to see him as being this villain who's, he's a hero on the wrong side of the story, I guess you could say, because okay. even though he is this villain, even though he is this general in this, this villainous empire, he is actually a very noble, honorable person. Unfortunately, he turns on the empire too late and he ends up getting killed. Uh, spoiler alert for a game that's over 20 years old. But anyways, <laughs> so I, I think he's an example of, you know, that noble or likable villain where he's the hero on the wrong side of the conflict.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So another type of villain, and this is another one of those categories where I think some people might argue as to whether this truly is considered a villain or not. But you mentioned the vigilante or anti-hero when we were discussing what we were going to say.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, I think if you look at a vigilante hero, if you look at, um, uh, of course, you know, it's me, so the first one that comes to mind is Batman. Batman could easily be classified a villain, and in, in several of the comic books I've read, they kind of look at him as a villain, you know, because he, yes, he's always for the betterment of mankind, or the betterment of Gotham City, or, you know... Something like that, but he's the ways he goes about doing things. I mean, um, just off the top of my head, you know, breaking and entering, uh, you know, vandalism, blowing stuff up, uh, <laughs> you know, and we kind of talked about that in another podcast too about how, you know, how much damage the superheroes yes, do exactly. and all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, just, just looking at it from a strictly law abiding side of good versus evil. You can easily take those vigilantes, um, Batman. Uh, another good one would be Punisher.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: Um, you know, these and guys, though they're doing good, you know, they're kinda not.
0: <laughs> exactly, cause I think in, I think it was in the, I'm trying to think okay in the Jack Nicholson the Tim Burton Batman who is it that played Batman um
1: well there were several of them um in, in that the first movie, one, in the fir- that was um Keaton Michael Keaton Michael
0: Keaton okay I yeah I thought it was him but I wasn't sure but yeah the cuz I think in that one they actually were people who were kind of afraid of Batman and oh, yeah. I'm not sure how much they did this in the comics but where you know I'm sure that it has been addressed where it's like okay are we going to allow this a person to you know do this because he even though he is busting criminals for starters he is operating outside of law and you'll see there's right. a lot of superheroes that do that like spider-man you know even though he doesn't kill or try to hurt common street criminals he is technically a vigilante he's going right. around stopping crimes and he's you know but he's not an officer of the law and i believe right. technically in if you look at it from a legal standpoint this is where i don't think they really address this very much in the the comics but if the person who's arresting you it's it's like a citizen's arrest and i'm not sure really how valid those are in a court of law and if this guy was say robbing a you know trying to break into a bank when no mm-hmm. one was there and the cops, you know, they they respond to the alarm and they just find some guy tied up in spider webs. How is that enough to know that he was really the one breaking into the bank? Now, I right. suppose there might be security footage, but maybe we're getting off topic here. But I think yeah, you are true where some people don't necessarily consider some of these superheroes who work outside of the law to be heroes. They see them as another type of villain, a vigilante or an anti-hero.
1: Right. You know, anybody that any hero, which this is going to cover, a lot of superheroes that are not members of law enforcement are technically vigilantes.
0: That's true, because and
1: vigilantes are technically um against the law. Being a vigilante is not a good thing. If if all of a sudden I started going out and beating up you know street thugs in wassa, I'm going to go to jail.
0: <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, life's not like yeah, no, life's not like the comic books. I mean, if I you know that there's a neighbor down the street from me who's, you know, selling crack and running a brothel out of his house. If I go in there and shoot him and set his house on fire, guess who's probably going to go to life, light- prison for the rest of his life?
1: <laughs> exactly. Me. Yeah. Yep. You know,
0: so that's where I think there's a good conflict there with heroes because, yeah, heroes can be considered villains in some cases. Mm-hmm. Now, another type which I think this is a little bit more limited, and that's the ally as the villain. One example I can think of, and I, we were talking a little bit about this before we were recording, another Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy IV. All
1: right, or, so this is 24 years old.
0: <laughs> Actually, I'm trying to think when it came out. It may have been, yeah, it's it's old, but anyways. Uh, in Final Fantasy four, you start out as a character named Cecil and he is going on a, a mission for his king, and he is accompanied by his, a character named Cain. And Cain has been, you know, they've been best friends for many years. Okay. Well, anyways, their mission is they have to deliver a package to the village of Mist, which is home to summoners, you know, people who can summon monsters. And they don't know what's in the package, but when they take it to the, the village it opens up by itself and it releases a bunch of monsters that kill a lot of the people in the village. And then there's this one feet, there's this one girl remaining named Rydia and uh, Cain thinks that they have to kill Rydia because she is a summoner. Whereas, you know, Cecil, that's when he kind of opens his eyes and realizes that the king he served has become corrupt and he refuses to do it. And that's where there's a little bit of a conflict between the two. Well, Things happen, they get separated, and then Kane kind of works his way in and out of the story for a bit where uh, he kidnaps Cecil's girlfriend, Rosa, and he's under mind control. But then there's parts of it where it's like he realizes that some of the stuff he's doing is not out of control. It's actually what he thinks in his heart. It's his own feelings. But eventually they do make amends and he becomes one of the characters that you beat the game with. And it's expanded on a little bit more in uh, Final Fantasy IV, the after years, its sequel, where, again, Kane has these demons that he has to fi- uh, fight out. Okay. So when we were thinking of things to discuss for this episode, that's one of the ideas I had where, you know, you had your ally as the villain where someone who's traveling with you and he's – but he's kind of working against you while he's working with you. I don't know if that makes any sense <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, I run a lot of role playing games. That makes a lot of sense. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. I'm sure we've all played a, uh, a, a campaign where we've had a party member that's almost kind of working as much against the party as with the party. And if you're listening to this, hi, James. Okay. That's, that's an joke <laughs> between me and my friend James, who's helped me with a few podcasts. But anyways. So we've talked about some of the different types of villains and what makes a villain a villain. What are some villains from works of fiction that you either really, really like or really, really don't like?
1: I, I really, really like the Joker. He has always been one of my favorite bad guys. Um, let's see. Who else do I really, really like? Well, I guess it, it, recently, uh, Deadpool. I really <laughs> like the Deadpool character.
0: Yes, he he is an anti-hero, def. That's true. I mean, how did you say that he put it at the start of the movie? It's which he I said, still have not I, seen as which I still haven't seen yet. So,
1: okay, so I won't try to ruin it too much. You only got a couple more weeks though, and then I'm going to talk about it. So,
0: okay. Um
1: Deadpool, I think he said uh I may be super, but I but ain't I, no hero. <laughs> yes, I
0: remember that. And uh I believe he actually did appear as a as a villain, but eventually he kind of evolved into this uh hero role and i think when dawn and i did our episode on deadpool Mm -hmm. uh, she said that the reason he kind of evolved is because i think it may have had something to do with financial trouble at dc and they were just going to do this series and they weren't sure if it was going to go anywhere so they figured they were just going to go all nuts with deadpool and eventually it ended up working and of course deadpool ended up becoming one of their more popular characters I could be wrong on that. I'd have to go back and listen to that episode. But anyway,s to move on. So yeah, I'd have to say that Doctor Doom has always been one of my favorite villains because yeah, even though he's trying to take over the world, he does have a sense of nobility about him. Uh, Joker is another good villain because you know, as you said, he's just this this psychopath. Where yeah, when Batman arrests him and gets him arrested and sends him to Arkham. You're glad that he's in there. He's right. the kind of villain where you're glad to see him defeated. And that's one thing that I can think certainly makes a good villain is if the players defeat him, they should all be like, whew, breathe a sigh of relief. Right. Lex Luthor is another villain that I've I've always liked, uh, especially in like the Justice League Unlimited series. Yes. Where, uh, you know, again, he... Because he, he originally starts out where he's working for Grog. No, not Grog. Grod, the gorilla guy. Uh, it's either Grog or Grod. I think it's Grod. But he eventually, you know, overthrows Grod and, you know, he takes charge of all these supervillains where he, he definitely comes off as being very lawful evil in his, his portrayal there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So let's go to, role playing games because that's something that we we're both very familiar with both of us have played role playing games for many years and this is where we hope you guys be able to take away something from the uh the episode today so if you're going to be making a campaign what are some things that you do when you are trying to make a villain for a campaign
1: well let's see First thing I do is I look at the group I'm going to have. I play with several different groups or different combinations of groups, and they all play a little differently. Um, I'm sure you're aware, you know, you have one group that play, you know. I've got one group where if we get an actual hour of role-playing in in a night, you know, we've had a good night because it's it's more (laughs) of a social thing, right? Yeah. And then I have another group where we get together an hour before we start gaming, and you have your hour to get through all the you know how's it been going haven't seen you since last month blah 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 and when we start gaming we game we -hmm. game for five hours and you know it's the way it goes so it depends on the group you're working with for for a lighter group you know i like to do something different something kind of silly something that's not very tropish. um The last thing I did is I created a villain who was actually the king, okay? Mm -hmm. But nobody knew it because I made this guy dumber than a box of rocks. (laughs) You know, or at least they thought he was. He was, you know, he stumbled over his words. He never knew what was going on exactly. You know, he put all his faith in his advisors. And so the, the, the group is just like, this guy's an absolute moron. And they start working with the Queen Mother, right? Because the King's an idiot, you know? Yes. He took the throne when he was young. He's he's a party guy. He'd rather be drunk than deal with, you know, anything going on. Um, And, I mean, he was so good at the role he played, his mother didn't even realize that he was this, you know, this bad guy. And it comes up in the very end that this guy's the bad guy, and he's actually in charge of this huge group of... You know, um, bad guys. And and to set the stage here, what I did was I looked at the Nazis and I said, okay, what would happen if you put the Nazis in medieval times? Hmm. Okay, so I, I created this group called the Crimson Peak. And then as I worked through the story, there was actually a portal. So they would go between 1939, 1941 Germany. And this medieval land, okay? And they were like an offshoot of the Nazis. They dressed like, like the, um, you know, the, 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 the tan SS outfit. Wood. No, not the SS. Okay. But like the tan, you know, the tan outfits with the little brimmed hats and the swastika armband. But instead of using a swastika, they used this red mountain. Okay. So, you know, everybody got this feel like, okay, so he's, he's doing this whole, you know, World War II thing, but set in medieval times. And when I threw them into the room where there's this portal and they hear this, you know, and I had, um, I had found some clips of Hitler doing his, his talks in, in Nuremberg and stuff, you know, with the cheering in the back and stuff. And I, and I threw that on and I'm not one that uses sound a whole lot, but I figured it, 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 it increased its value here, you know, and it was just one of these things and This king was actually in charge of the Crimson Peak in this world, you know, so he was like interacting with Hitler and, you know, it was just, it was, it was kind of messed up, but they didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's the big thing is I want my bad guys to be somebody that can walk into the group, interact with them, and they have no clue until it's either too late or it's, it's such a shocking revelation that it's like, you did it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I think, yeah, definitely when you look at large organizations, and again, you mentioned the Nazis, that mm-hmm. can actually be a very good, uh, model for how villains could act in a role playing game. And, right. I mean, for me, it's like when I'm creating a villain for a role playing game campaign, I'm writing, I try to, I usually like to try to have several major villains. Uh, I guess you could say kind of like different bosses in video games. Because okay. And it is going to really depend on what I want that villain to be like and how I want them to interact with the party. Sometimes I do want to make a villain who's just so morally bankrupt that there's no way this person could be redeemed. But sometimes it is nice to throw a General Leo type villain in there where, yeah, he's a villain, he's trying to defeat you, but he's not malicious about it. You know, he's only, it's nothing personal. He's just trying to defeat you because that's his job. Right, so, where
1: if if you go and walk away, he's going to leave you alone.
0: Right, and he, the kind of villain where sometimes you think that if you could talk to that person and reach out to him, you might be able to turn that villain to your side. And just uh, another villain that I, I Maybe show mentioned before, but in the Transformers Prime cartoon, mm-hmm. um, there is one character in that one called Dreadwing, who even though he's a Decepticon and he's working against the Autobots, he is noble at and honorable at heart. And Optimus Prime does think that it is possible to eventually get him to turn away from the Decepticons and join the Autobots. Oh, okay. Uh, not gonna spoil the, not gonna spoil it. Doesn't quite work that way. Um, unfortunately, Dreadwing does end up dying a noble death though. But anyways, to carry on. So, th- I like it though when I can make a villain where they're complex. They're motivated by something other than just, you know, mere money or personal gain. So if you ever do any uh, role-playing game campaigns based on the Marvel Universe, that's where Dr. Doom is always a really good villain to work with. Uh, Like one campaign I did with uh, Marvel superheroes, I had Dr. Doom as the final enemy, and I borrowed some ideas from the Marvel Ultimate Alliance game. Okay. Um, The plot of this is, well, this is actually something I developed later into the campaign, but... I made the players go through the uh, Ragnarok and roll adventure and there's another one following up. Uh, I, I don't remember. It's like uh, what it was called, but you had to basically free Galactus. You had to rescue Galactus and okay. because the, see what happened is uh, the the players had to go into the future and they had to go to a, a days of future past type scenario where mutants were being hunted And um, later you find out that indirectly Dr. Doom was behind some of the stuff that was happening. He was trying to take over the world because he discovered that there was an alien armada that was going to invade the Earth. So what he was trying to do is take over the world and get everyone organized because he felt this would be for the betterment of humanity. And eventually when they do go into this alternate universe or this alternate future where they do have to confront Dr. Doom, who has achieved almost godlike powers by now, um, you know, that's one of the things so he has achieved, total, complete order, just with there's no free will. That's the problem. Right. And, uh, again, I this is something I probably made a, should have mentioned earlier, but another Transformer series that does kind of grapple with that same issue, uh, did you... Now, did you ever watch many of the Transformers cartoons beyond the the G original G1? No, no, I didn't. Okay. Because after the G1 series that we're familiar with came Beast Wars. And then after Beast Wars, there came a series called Beast Machines. And this takes place like well after the you know the end of the Autobot Decepticon War. But one of the things that they do struggle with in that particular series is extremis- extremism extremism. Where this series version of Megatron and his rival Optimus Primal, they both, they're represented as being extremists on both sides, where one is like extreme lawful good and the other would be like extreme lawful evil. And okay. Megatron, the, what he was doing in this series is he stole all the sparks of all the, the transformers on Cybertron because he felt that individuality bred dissension. So he was doing this because he was just trying to create ultimate order. It's just he would be the only one that would have any free will.
1: All right. Well, there's also um, in in the Pathfinder uh, series of books, um, there is the NPC Codex. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Pathfinder.
0: I am not. I've, I've heard of it, but I've never actually had a chance to play it. Okay,
1: well it's very much D D ish. It's cut down they cut down on uh just to give a quick overview, it's it's very much the same feeling as like three five, and they've but they've cut down on the number of feats and and skills and that kind of stuff to make it more streamlined. But they have a book called the NPC Codex, which gives you good guys, bad guys, icons, all built for you already. So in 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 a lot of cases where I'm looking for a bad guy that's not the ultimate bad guy, I'll be like, okay, I want a you know seventh level necromancer. So I flip it open to necromancers, I find seventh level, and it's pre-generated for me, which is kind of nice when you're when you run off the cuff on occasion. So that's always been one of my that's one of my favorite books for Pathfinder. Jumping back to D and D. Third, third, three, third edition or three five edition. They had the Book of Vile Darkness. You can build a bad guy out of the Book of Vile Darkness with not even trying very hard. I mean, it's they have so many gadgets and gizmos for the bad guy, you know, or the evil character that uh, it's it's like a smorgasbord. You have to you actually have to set yourself limits, otherwise, you're going to build the ultimate bad guy yeah. that nobody's ever going to. You know, have a chance against. So, but, so those are a couple of my favorite references along with literature. I mean, I love using, I, I steal a lot of ideas from like Stephen King. I steal ideas from Poe. I steal ideas from Lovecraft. And, you know, you can take an idea, you know, let's say for Lovecraft, you know, he's got this cosmic monster, right? well, you're not going to drop a cosmic monster in the middle of a medieval campaign, usually. I have done it. But you can take the idea of what this cosmic monster does, how he reacts, what he does, and turn it into a person.
0: Yeah, and because I believe, isn't that one of the hallmarks of a lot of the Cthulhu mythos stories where the, 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 the heroes, the protagonists of the story, aren't necessarily struggling directly against, like, Dagon or Cthulhu
1: uh, themselves—they're dealing more with their cults. Right, you would never a standard human is going to see Cthulhu or Dagon, and their sanity is gone. It's just one of those things. They're—they're so big. They're on such a level that you know the human consciousness is, is just going to dissolve. You know,
0: yeah, you would go insane. And I think in the The original deities and demigods for first edition, the one where they had the Cthulhu mythos. Yes. They even mentioned that, like, uh, you know, some of them, like the, what's, what's the city that, uh, Cthulhu, like Relay or something like that? Yeah, Relay.
1: Relay. Supposedly.
0: Yeah. It's so bizarre that once you enter the city, you instantly have to make a saving throw or go permanently insane. And there's one of the other elder gods, Azeroth or something like that. Azazoth. Azazoth, yeah. Where, again, you get within a certain number of miles of him. You risk going permanently insane.
1: Well, yeah, the thing with Azazoth is, and this is one of the things that bothered me being a Lovecraft fan, is in First Edition, they they totally mess him up because he is known in the mythos as the Eater of Worlds, and he's actually just this big space monster that sleeps at the core of a world. So in in the case of earth let's say he you know the the iron core that we have would actually be Azazoth. and if his cult succeeds in waking him up he wakes up and swallows the world hmm. there there's no saving throw there's no you know it's just you're duck. dead you're gone
0: you know i wonder if the transformers prime the people who made that series were influenced by lovecraft at all because one of the things they meant they do in that series is that i, I well, are are you familiar with the character Unicron?
1: Unicron. Sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, in he first appears in the Transformers uh animated movie from 1986, but in Transformers Prime, Unicron is actually a, at sleeping at the center of the Earth. So, yeah, that's a cheery thought, right? <laughs> <laughs> this being of pure evil is the center of the planet that we live on. So, Right, right, yeah. But I think that's another uh, good example of how you can work something like the Cthulhu mythos into a campaign. And now I've never played Call of Cthulhu. I know there are role-playing games based on Cthulhu mythos. Yes. But yeah, you're not going to really directly be struggling against the the deity itself. You're struggling against its intermediaries. The, right. You know, this insane fanatical cult that worships these beings
1: right yeah you're gonna be fighting an individual or a, a cult type setup absolutely because if if you go up against any of the the you know elder gods as they call them or anything like that it's <laughs> you're dead it's ga- game over you know
0: yeah and i think that can be another type of uh villain to really struggle against is yeah you're working against a cult and the in one D campaign that i did uh I want to say it was like maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Um, the the PCs were struggling against the cult of this treant that was that went evil and was trying to become a god, which would have required him to basically turn a large section of the world into an infertile desert. And okay. he had this high priest that was one of the the main antagonists of the campaign. And of course, once the players finally defeated him, it's like, oh finally. And that also reminds me of talking about uh, some of our other favorite RPG villains. In one campaign that I was in a long, long time ago, this would have been like f- over 15 years, I th- no, maybe about 12 years ago. Well, anyways, there was one of our main antagonists was essentially a multi-class fighter, Psionic. Okay. So not only could he fight, he also had lots of Psionic abilities to back it up. So when we finally killed him, it was so therapeutic. So that's one thing that I always think makes a good or memorable RPG villain is when you kill him, you're like, finally, it's over.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, another, another one that I've employed over the years is whispers and rumors.
0: Oh yeah. Those there's can- not,
1: there's, there's not really a bad guy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all a matter of, perception so you hear i mean it's kind of like the uh lord of the rings you know you hear about rumors in the east and this that and the next thing and you follow these rumors and there's really nothing to them and now in lord of the rings obviously there was there was yeah. a big red eye on top of a tower but <laughs> you know i have employed that for long-term campaigns yeah you I know had- eventually you build that bad guy but For the start of it, it's just rumors, and it's you you let the paranoia of the people sitting at the table create your bad guy.
0: Right, and rumors can always be a powerful force. And I remember a lot of the older D&D modules, sometimes they did have rumor charts. But, yeah, there was this picture on Facebook that's been around the D&D circles for a while. Let the players write 90% of the campaign with their paranoid conjecture.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's... (laughs) You know, I don't know how well uh, how much you employ that in your in your role playing, but I I do a lot. Um, just a quick synopsis of how I write role playing games. I have I use arcs, okay? Yep. So I have this huge arc, okay? This is where I want the campaign to start. This is how it's going to end. Big arc. And now underneath there, I have all these little golden arches of you know plot points, and. That's how I put together a game. It's, it's not, I don't sit down and write it out. Um, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the, the most coherent writer in the world. Or talker sometimes. But, so, I do these plot points. And then I let the gamers kind of decide how they're going to get to those points.
0: Yeah, I tend to do that a lot too, where it's like I think, okay, this is what I want to happen at this part. Here's what I want to happen at here. Where again, I have those plot points and I, I usually wing it a lot when i when i when I'm running games, yep
1: oh absolutely you but have
0: yeah to. That, yeah that that's a that's a that's an entirely different topic of game mastering on the fly, and that's one that I hope to cover in a future episode, but yeah, it's i mean one thing that can actually be helpful is if you do if you are trying to game master on the fly, create some villains that you want them to fight, and then just as the needs of the campaign arise, that's where you would put them into different situations. Yep. Yeah, and I'd have one thing. I don't know if I'm the only one that views that has this view or not, but have you seen a lot of the pre-made D and D modules? And I'm talking more about the old ones, like the basic first and second edition ones.
1: Yeah, I've seen them. I don't use them. I am not. I, I don't run canned adventures. I never really have. I've tried it. I'm bad hmm. at it.
0: Yeah, and. The thing is, I do like the canned adventures, but the only real problem I have with a lot of them that I, the least that I've seen, maybe I just haven't found the right ones, but usually the main villain in that one, they don't flesh out their motivations as well as they could have. It's like, okay, here is an adventure where there's, you know, there's a, an insane wizard who lives at the top of a tower or there's this horrible, powerful undead creature at the deepest level of a dungeon. You know, you just go in, you get to the bottom of the dungeon, you get to the top of the tower, you kill the bad guy, and that's the end of the adventure.
1: Oh, now, you I... want you, you really want to throw off a second edition Game Master? Start talking to the evil guy. Hmm. Just start talking <laughs> to him. And they just kind of look at you blankly like,
0: what are You're you supposed doing? to kill him. You're not supposed to be negotiating, right? And
1: you know the thing of it is, and and my personal opinion, the way the reason they were written this way is, we've got to remember where our hobby came from. Our hobby of role playing came from tabletop wargaming.
0: Exactly, where when you are trying to reenact one of the, you know, like an ancient Roman battle. They're not yeah, talking. <laughs> yeah, they're fighting. They're, they're not there to negotiate. They're there to flex their military muscle and kick the other guy's butt. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, but yeah, to, to draw it back there, yeah, I think that's the main thing that if anything, should if you should try to take away anything from this discussion, you know, a, a really good memorable, memorable villain should have motivations beyond just mere power or self-interest. Which is why I like villains like Doctor Doom and, uh, you know, Lex Luthor, where, yeah, they're trying to conquer the world, but, you know, they're not necessarily doing it just for their own power. They're doing it because they think that they can bring order and ultimately peace to the world.
1: Yep. I mean, uh, Two-Face is another good one. So, um, Yeah,
0: because he's kind of that whole tragic hero in a way, because as yeah. I recall... Uh, I I remember him from the Batman movie with Heath Ledger. I'm not sure how it is in the main comic universe, but yeah, he was actually a you know a prominent uh, law lawyer. Or attorney, yeah, he was I he was
1: actually um, well, it depends on which one you're looking at, but he was actually he was the mayor. If you remember the old '90 movies, it was okay. Harvey Dent. Okay, Harvey Dent was the mayor or the or not mayor, what was he up for? Police chief. I, I forget, or district but he was running attorney for or? district attorney, that okay. was it. He was running to be district attorney and, and was elected as district attorney in that first Batman movie. And well this was one thing that always blew my mind too because it was he was a black guy, right? Yeah. And then in the third movie when Two Face shows up, you know, after Harvey Dent's been, you know, done with the acid and the whole thing not not only is he uh, a bad guy now, you know, with this split morality, he, he's also white.
0: <laughs> yeah, they went from uh, Billy Lee Williams, I think, to Tommy to Lee Tommy Jones. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, both of them, though, still had that three part name with, uh, you know, Lee in the middle. So well, maybe know, that it? was Billy it. Billy, no, Billy D. Williams, I thought it was. Okay, not Billy Oh, yeah, Lee.
1: Billy D. Williams. Yeah, he was.
0: Same uh, guy who did Lando Calrissian.
1: Yep, yep. And it, it's just funny because, you know, I'm like, how do you miss that plot point? How drunk was the guy who was, you know, yeah, casting that?
0: <laughs> There's two guys who are both named Harvey Dent. But, yeah, because I know he was kind of that tragic hero in the the Dark Knight movie. That was the one with Heath Ledger, right? The Dark Knight? Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah, he was this district, district attorney that went through this horrible disfigurement and that kind of, well, drove him... You know, drove him over the edge. Now, right. I'm not sure how, exactly how Two-Faces in the normal Batman comics, but I think they pretty much kept the same thing where he used to be the district attorney, but then right. went into becoming a criminal.
1: You know, where all his decisions are made by the flip of a coin.
0: Yep. Am I going to kill you or am I going to spare your life? Okay. Let's flip this coin. Darn. You're lucky. You get to live. So.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we're going to call this topic to a close. We've, I, Sure, of course, there's way more we can discuss on, on villains, but as I say, I hope that you were able to find this discussion interesting. And if you are planning a villain for a role playing game, that, you know, you've got some useful ideas. I, I mean, you mentioned before that sometimes you draw from like the works of Lovecraft or Pole, mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a very good place to go for ideas for villains to, you know, go to movies or video games. And sometimes you can actually glean some pretty good ideas from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a base. You know, I, I don't. It's not like I'm sitting there ripping out, you know, blocks of text from yeah. from anybody. But it gives you an idea. You know, it gets you in the right mindset for for the villain. You know, and yeah, I mean, I mean, this topic we could probably go on for another hour. But
0: <laughs> yeah, we've already. been Nobody wants for to a listen while, to that. So, yeah, we did. I hope the audience thinks that you know, the stuff I talk about in my show and not just me, but of course my guests. And, you know, I hope that you do find the stuff we talk about interesting and not just wasting your time for an hour or so or, but I, anyways, yeah, we're going to draw this topic to a close and like to thank you all for listening. And of course, Chad, thank you for joining me today as we discussed the topic of good bad guys and just villains in general. And Chad, I believe you actually have a blog that you've started a while ago.
1: I do, um, and it's actually not geek-related in any way. <laughs> um, I have been on a personal journey the last year to get in shape, find you know what works for me, and um, actually, as of last Thursday, I'm down officially 150 pounds.
0: Great job, and yeah, because again, just for the audience, since I actually know Chad and you know in real life, we're not just voices that talk to each other over the internet. <laughs> At least I don't think we're just voices, are we?
1: I guess we'll never know.
0: Yeah. But yes, and again, that's one thing I will say since I know Chad in real life. You know, you've done a really awesome job over the last year or so. But anyways, your blog.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's called Nut Up or Shut Up, <laughs> um, which actually was a name one of the other writers on there uh, came up with. And basically we what we try to do is we like to it, – it's a motivational blog is what it is. We will talk a little bit about – exercise and diet and that kind of stuff. But really it's just somewhere to go to read and get ideas. Um you know, we try to update three days a week. Uh there's three of us that write. So we try to update Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um sometimes there's extras, sometimes one's missed. But you know, it's been around for a while. Um you can find it at uh N U O S U dot blogspot.com um otherwise you can just search for it for uh nut up or shut up uh blog um and you know we're we're in that beginning stage we're looking for followers we're looking for readers we've got readers there's obviously people that read because of the the traffic that we're getting but um as of right now we don't have any followers so we'd like those <laughs>
0: So yeah, I'll check that out because I know I've, I've read like a one or two of them. So I'm, I'm going to try to take a look at some more of them, but, and I think it is good because this is a stereotype, of course, but, you know, a lot of people think, okay, geeks, we're all just, you know, out of shape nerds. So it is good that, you know, you're doing that. And I said, I know you've done a really great job with, uh, you know, your weight loss and fitness goals over the last uh, year or so.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for listening. So again, Check out Chad's blog if you can, uh, Nut Up or Shut Up. And also, of course, you can find me at POIGamestudio.com. Uh, check out Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. Of course, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes or through PodBeans. And if you are in the mood for watching video game uh, stuff, go to Point of Insanity Game Studio on YouTube. Because, of course, there aren't enough video game channels on, on uh, YouTube, right?
1: that's what i hear (laughs) yeah
0: well thanks for joining us everyone and have a good morning or evening or afternoon whatever it is wherever you are and happy gaming